and I will, um, and I'll direct you to the right small group. All right, so uh, let me pray. Oh, well, apparently it's Vincent Lee's birthday too. I will pray for that as I pray. <laughs> uh, Laura, thank you so much for today. Thank you for birthdays like Ryan Chin and Vincent Lee. I pray that um, they will have another blessed year where they can uh, know you more as Lord and Savior. I pray for the sermon that you will speak uh, through me. May your words um, be powerful and change our lives. And Lord, we, I want to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, let me share a screen. And then we'll jump into this. Okay, so hopefully you guys should see that. Um, if not, just let me know. So today is, we're going to talk about humility. And we're going to unpack how humility is the key to receiving God's grace. Um, last week, we learned about how God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so the natural question is, how do I become humble? And I think for a lot of us here as Asians, uh, there's a lot of ways we can look humble. If you're eating at a restaurant and at the end, someone has to pay for the bill, you know, people are usually fighting for the bill. Oh, let me pay for it. Let me pay for it. Um, and it's uh, humility, but really maybe it's us not w wanting to avoid uh, the feeling of maybe looking ungrateful or something like that. Or imagine when someone says, oh man, you're so good uh, at basketball. You're such a good artist. Uh, you're so smart. Um, how do you get an A without uh, studying? And, you, you, and maybe you say, oh no, like it, it's okay. I'm, um, I'm really not this way. And I'm not that smart. I'm not that uh, athletic or whatever. And so there's, these might be ways we try to be humble, but I wanna talk about today uh, the real, the biblical way to be humble. Okay, so here's a recap from last week. So last week we talked about um, the problem that uh, Christians argue and fight because of their struggle with conflicting passions for good and evil. Right? We talked about how um, struggles and we fight with one another, we argue with one another. It's because we have conflicting passions. Okay, and then... Uh, the bottom line is that these conflicting passions reveal that we are cheating on God. We are adulterous people, as James was saying. And then the solution is God gives more grace to the humble. Um, this is the good news for uh, last week, that God gives more grace to the humble. Um, and so today, the natural question is, if God opposes the proud, um, but gives grace to the humble, how do I become humble? How do I become a humble person? Um, and this is what we're going to unpack today. So today uh, is four ways to grow in humility. So there'll be four ways that we can grow in humility today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to James chapter uh, four. And we're going to talk about four ways that we can grow in humility. So I'll give you a second to turn to James chapter four. And I'll turn there as well. So James chapter four. 
Okay. So uh, we're going to go through uh, verses uh, 7 to 10. Actually, we'll start with 6 to 10, even though we went through 6 last week. I'm going to read it all at once, and then we're, un- we're going to unpack it a little bit at a time. So James chapter 4, starting in verses uh, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So the first way to grow in humility is to, number one, submit to God's authority. Submit to God's authority. The very first verse of verse 7 is to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Uh, James chapter 7. And so that word, uh, therefore, it means if God gives grace to the humble, therefore, you should do these things. Therefore, submit yourself to God. And to submit yourself to God means to place yourself under his authority, to obey him in all things. You can think of maybe a soldier who lines up at the call of his commanding officer. You can think of an athlete who lines up on the baseline when, the, when his coach uh, blows the whistle. Think of a student who follows directions when his teacher gives instructions. Uh, think of little Jimmy who has to take out the trash when his parents ask him to. And so we are all used to submitting to authority in our life. And so on an infinite scale, mankind, we are created to submit to God's authority. And so what I'm going to do today, I want to talk about application throughout the sermon instead of uh, addressing at the very end. So each point will have an application point. So here's my application for uh, this point. I want you guys to understand culture's agenda to elevate the self, not God, as ultimate authority. Here's what I mean by that. If you've heard the term uh, postmodernism before, it basically means there is no absolute truth. Uh, another term could be relativism. There is no a- absolute truth. And what that means is that each person has the privilege of discovering their personal truth on their own. And as a result, if you can discover your personal truth, and if I can discover my personal truth, we have to be tolerant of one another's personal beliefs. And so culture does not believe in absolute truth. This is why you see things like abortion. For Christians, we believe abortion is murder. But for other people, they might say, hey, it's my body my choice. I'm the ultimate authority in my life. So I get to decide what to do with my body. That is a result of a relativistic culture, a postmodern culture. You can think about gay marriage when they argue that love is love. If I love somebody, shouldn't I be able to express my feelings? How dare you Christians tell me how to feel? You can see that's a result of a postmodern um, relative thinking that there is no absolute truth or even the gender issues. If I identify as a woman, who's to tell me that I can't identify as a woman and join a woman's sport. If I have my personal truth, no one can tell me what to do. How dare you call me uh, a he when I'm a she. So these are the things that our culture is going, going through. And this all seems fine and dandy until maybe a 50 year old man comes up to you and says, Hey, I am age fluid. So I actually identify as a 15 year old boy. And I am now in love with a 15 year old girl. From a postmodern perspective, there is nothing you can say or do to argue against that because that is his personal truth. 
And that's actually a thing nowadays, being age fluid. And so you can see how crazy our world is becoming when we can't even accept absolute truth that uh, this is something God has ordained. So therefore, it is crucial that every Christian today that we submit to God's authority. The reason our world is becoming chaotic and we have all these issues and conflict, it's because people reject God's authority and they want to create their own personal truth. If you can understand how postmodern uh, the worldview thinks, you can really understand why the world is the way it is. So I want you guys to be understanding of culture's agenda. So this is the first act of humility, to submit to God, his authority, and to his scriptures. There's a second way we can grow in humility. Second way is to resist the devil's temptations. Resist the devil's temptations. Look again at verse 7 in chapter 4 of James. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, so resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you submit to God, you must resist the devil. Uh, it could, you could probably say something like, if you love the Lakers, you must hate the Celtics. If you love UCLA, you must hate USC. If you love being clean, you will hate being dirty. If you love working hard, you will hate being lazy. So it makes sense that if you love God, you must oppose or resist the devil. The reason being is the devil's primary purpose in life is to do anything and everything to separate God and mankind. So how do you oppose the devil? That's very abstract. Well, you oppose the devil by using the word of God when he tempts you. Okay, I want you to think about Jesus's ministry. Remember that when he first started his ministry, before he went out and did miracles, the very first thing after he got baptized was that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Remember, Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's really hungry. And Satan says things like, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus fights back and he uses scripture, the word of God to fight back. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the way you resist the devil's temptations is to use the word of God and fight against the lies of the devil. Your Bible is your weapon. Every temptation or lie that the devil throws at you, you fight back by clinging to the truths of scripture. If you're a Christian right now, and you don't know your Bible, you're not very familiar with the Bible, it's like having a gun, but you don't have any bullets. Yeah, you have a weapon, but you can't really do anything. You don't have any bullets. A Christian who doesn't know his or her Bible is like having a gun with no bullets. You're defenseless against the enemy. So we have to use scripture to fight against the lies of the devil. And James promises, God promises, that when we resist the devil, he will flee from you. So that's my application to utilize the Bible as a spiritual weapon against the devil's temptation. Maybe your Bible is gathering dust on your uh, nightstand or in your bookshelf. Maybe your Bible you never pick up, uh, not even on Fridays and Sundays because the verse is on the slide, but you are neglecting a great weapon. The Bible calls the Bible the, the sword of the spirits. 
So when you're tempted to cheat on homework or to lie to your parents, you can look to things like Proverbs 12, where it says, the Lord hates lying lips. When you are anxious and you wonder, does anybody ever love me? Does anyone care about me in life? You can turn to Psalm 34 and say, and see that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he is near to the crushed in spirit. Maybe it's late at night and you're being tempted by a lustful video on your phone or computer. You can turn to the Bible, Psalm 119, which says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to his word? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we have all these resources in the Bible that we can fight against the lies of the devil. You could do things like write out a Bible verse and tape it on your laptop. Um, I know Ryan, our uh, former intern, he would write on printer paper Bible verses and tape it to his ceiling so that when he woke up, that was the first thing he saw, a Bible verse, God's word on a ceiling. Uh, my friend who would write Bible verses on three by five index cards as he walked in his college campus because he didn't want to look at girls the wrong way to lust after them. So he would have index cards to remind him that he wants to be pure in his heart. You and I, we have the Bible to use at our, uh, as resources to fight against lies, to fight against sin. So next time you face temptation, you'll be locked and loaded with God's word, ready to fight against temptation. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? So that's a second point to resist the devil's temptations. Third is to draw near to God. Draw near to God. This is the third way that we grow in humility. And this is going to be different from submitting to God. And I'll explain that. Uh, look at verse eight. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Do you kind of notice a parallel from the previous verse? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Cause and effect. This one, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Okay. Action, reaction. To draw near to God is to deepen your relationship with God. And this sounds familiar to submitting to God, so let me make a distinction. Submitting to God means to maybe obey his rules and his authority, but drawing near to God is to deepen an intimacy. For example, you can submit to your parents' rules and take out the trash, but that doesn't mean you have a strong relationship with your parents. That doesn't mean you wanna share things about your life with your parents. You can submit and obey your coaches instructions to run a mile, but that doesn't mean you have a good relationship with your coach. So as Christians, we not just submit to God's instructions, but we have to deepen our relationship with God. So the action of drawing near to God is especially important. And we do things like read the Bible and we pray. You hear this a lot in church, read the Bible and pray. This is the bread and butter. This is the foundation of your relationship with God. And I think maybe for many of us, maybe it's hard to seek God every day. Maybe it's hard to be disciplined in our spiritual walks. Maybe we feel we have a lot of work to do. That, you know, God, if I open my Bible and spend time with you, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to finish my studying. I don't know if I can get my math homework done. And sometimes we justify ourselves that way. But here's the hypocritical thing that James will call us out on. How can you and I say we don't have time with God, but we have time to watch Netflix or Disney Plus? 
how can we say we don't have time to spend with God, but we spend hours scrolling through social media on our downtime? How can we say we don't have time to talk or pray to God, but we have time to text and talk, or, talk to our friends? And so James is calling us out on that. He is saying that maybe we are hypocritical or double-minded. And so the truth is, we always make time for the things we value. If you value God, you'll make time for God. If you value school, you'll make time to study and do your homework, no matter the cost. So the application is to hear God through scripture and to talk back through prayer. If you want to draw near to God, if you ever wondered, what does it mean to be close to God? The two best things any Christian can do, read your Bible and pray. And I have a diagram uh, to kind of illustrate the relationship with this. When, God, when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. So on this next slide, uh, let's pretend there is a diagram. Here is God. I don't know how to draw him, so I just wrote God. And here is us, some sort of uh, space astronaut. And you might wonder, how can any human being understand and get to know an infinite God? It's like an ant being friends with a human. It doesn't make sense. An ant can understand human language. So how can an infinite God understand a finite human being? Well, God has communicated himself through scripture. God lowers and reveals himself to a low level that we can understand, which is the Bible. We can all read, I hope. So God reveals himself through stuff, uh, through the Bible, which we can read. And this is how we get to know who God is. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You learn about who Jesus is. But we don't just read as if it's an academic book. We respond in prayer. I couldn't find a prayer emoji, so I just found a mouth. <laughs> I know it's gross. But we respond in prayer. God talks to us through the Bible. He texts us, so to speak. And we text back or we talk back through prayer. This is the relationship. If you want to be close to God, read your Bible. God is talking to you. But then you also talk back by prayer. And that's simply what prayer is, talking to God. And when you read the Bible, you learn what God is like. So this is how you draw near to God. Lastly, a fourth way to grow in repentance is to, or to grow in humility is to repent and be broken over your sin. I want to spend the most time today on this, which is why I kind of moved along quickly. Look at verses 8 to 10. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on this aspect of humility. A huge aspect of becoming humble is, are we repenting? Are we repenting? James has really strong words here. He calls us sinners, and he calls us double-minded. And this might remind us of last week when he called us adulterous people. He calls us cheaters. And you're like, all right, James, calm down. Like, why are you going off on us? But James is trying to give us a wake-up call. He sees that Christians are trying to be friends with the world and trying to be friends with God at the same time. 
And remember, we can't be friends with God and the world at the same time. And James has two commands here. First one is to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Second one is to purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you might not pick up on this at first, but James is trying to address the entire person, the outward and the inward. To cleanse your hands is to cleanse the outward actions, okay? While to purify your heart is to address the inward attitude. James is addressing the entire person. We must be clean outwardly in our conducts and the way we talk and think and speak, but we have to be clean inwardly, our desires, our thoughts. And so James is trying to communicate this with us, that only those with a clean hands and pure hearts can be near to God. But here's the problem. We're not clean. We can't forgive ourselves. If you've ever had a dirty shirt, have you ever tried to clean your dirty shirt by rubbing the shirt against itself? It doesn't work because you're just rubbing the dirt around. You need a cleaning agent like water or soap or detergent. And in the same way, we can't clean ourselves. We need an outside force. We need God to be the cleansing agent to clean us. That's why James says to be wretched and mourn and weep. This is very different from James chapter one, when he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds. And how he is calling us to be wretched and mourn and weep and let our laughter turn to mourning. And that might be really odd. James, are you telling us we can't laugh? Are you telling me that I can't have fun, that I can't watch funny movies? That sounds cruel. Why would the Bible tell us to do that? No, that's not what James means. He, James defines laughter as a sign of a foolish person, at least in Old Testament lit- literature. So laughter was a sign of a person who just lives for pleasure. For example, let's say you had a non-Christian friend and you said, hey, you want to come to church? Do you want to learn about God? And they just say, uh, nah, man, I'm good. Um, I just want to sleep in on Sundays. Maybe when I'm less busy, but thanks, dude. That's cool. And as your friend laughs at your invitation to go to church, he, he or she is the mark of a fool. Laughter was a sign that you were not taking your sin seriously. So James is in effect saying, stop playing games. Sin is serious. In a sense, this is the beginning of the gospel message. James is aware that God will punish sin. And he is begging his readers, just as I am begging you. Sin is serious. Don't think life is just about fun and games. Life isn't just about getting good grades and going to a good college and living the American dream of success. There is a heaven and there is a hell. What good is it if you get into Harvard and you buy a mansion, make a lot of money, but when you die, you're, content, you're condemned in eternity in hell? That was all a waste. James is trying to wake us up that the realities of heaven and hell are real. Does sin terrify you? The gospel message is that God punishes every sinner, which is me and which is you. But the gospel, which means the good news, is that Jesus Christ took the punishment. He took the wrath of God. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago so that your sins and my sins could be done away with and it fell on his shoulders and not us. So that's why as Christians, we, all, we, we are united by the gospel. 
we are united by the blood and sacrifice of Christ because by his sacrifice, we have been forgiven. This is why the need to repent of our sin is so, so important. You want to grow in humility? Start by repenting. Repent of sin and realize for what it is a monstrosity in the eyes of God. Now, I want to talk about how we react to sin. There's about 110 people right now in this chat. It's a lot. And we all have different reactions to sin. And I think there's two extremes we have to be very, very careful of. Uh, my next slide, I try to have a little fun with this. But our application for this, we have to develop a godly grief over your sin. But there's two extremes we have to be very careful of. One extreme is this, despair. When you sin, sometimes some of us despair. God could never forgive me. How could God ever love me after I sin again and again and again? The person who despairs over sin, it's dangerous and unhealthy because it blinds you to the love of God. You're so focused on how messed up you are, you can't see how much God loves you and is offering salvation. This is dangerous. A lot of people think this is healthy, that if I just wallow in my shame and in my brokenness, this is pleasing to God. No, you're missing out. Jesus wants to change your life. And we can't miss out on that because we're so focused and, um, on our own sin. The other extreme is disregard and lack of concern. Oh, well, God's going to forgive me anyways. Isn't God's love infinite? Well, okay, I'll just cheat on this homework. God will forgive me anyways. Okay, I'll just uh, look at pornography. God will just forgive me anyways. Isn't his love uh, everlasting? And so the other extreme when we react to sin is to have a lack of concern, to disregard it. And we are blinded to the justice of God. Our heart has become hardened and we see God's grace like a credit card. Eh, I'll just swap that credit card of God's grace and I'm good to go. This is also very unhealthy. We are blind to the justice of God. A healthy response lies somewhere in the middle, a godly grief. Now, in the middle, you are broken over your sin, and you see how horrible your sin is, but you also recognize that God's grace is greater. Remember last week, somewhere in the middle is a healthy response to sin, that when I sin, I should be broken. Maybe it does lead me to tears, but I do not stay there, because when I try to take care of my sin on my own, that's dangerous. I have to run to God. God's grace, grace is greater, and I need to run to the cross for forgiveness and change. This is what it means to mourn and weep and be broken over my sin. Are you moved to godly grief over your sin? Or do you lean towards both extremes, whether of despair or lack of concern? I want to share a time in my life when I hit rock bottom and I just felt at the end of my rope over my sin. Uh, I think maybe most of you guys know by now, but uh, my story in my past was that I had an addiction to pornography. Um, it was my secret addiction that I try to keep a secret uh, for most of my life, probably. And, you know, I discovered it as a teenager and was just trapped, and I didn't know who to turn to for help. I knew it was wrong before God, but I didn't really want to change. I just wanted to stop feeling so guilty. And I didn't feel guilty or I didn't feel the need to actually change. And this was um, 
worldly sorrow. This was despair. I was trapped in this prison and this addiction and it would continue for many years. And I never really saw the need or desire to really do the hard step of change. It, was, it wasn't until late college where I began seriously asking for help, talking to older mentors, trying to memorize Bible verses and installing uh, software on my phone and computer to uh, basically have other friends and brothers get to know what I'm doing on the internet. They would know my internet activity, which is really scary if uh, we have an addiction like that. And I remember years into this battle, I was putting 100%, it felt like, and it just felt like nothing was changing. It just felt like I wasn't really improving, that I was making five steps forward and maybe 10 steps back. And I remember talking to my mentor and just feeling so broken and saying like, what am I doing wrong? I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing. I feel like I'm asking God for forgiveness, but how come I just can't kick this addiction? Why do I keep relapsing? I remember driving home after meeting with my mentor and just at a stoplight and just kind of breaking down and crying and basically saying to God, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. God, I just, I just want to make you happy, God. God, I just want to make you proud of me. And I just know my sin is, I know it's not what you want. And I just was broken and the tears were just, uh, just something that, which is a natural expression. I wasn't trying to force anything. And a song came on uh, the radio, I think from uh, the Gettys, uh, the song, Oh Great God. And it goes, and it says, uh, help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. And as I was just at that stoplight, I just was at the end of my rope. I'm like, God, I can't fix myself. I need your grace. And I know no matter how many Bible verses I memorize, no matter how many hours I pray, at the end of the day, it's still God's grace that changes me. And that was a time in my life where I hit rock bottom and I just realized it's, I can't do anything. I need, I need God's grace to help me. And looking back now, when I look at that moment in my life, it's totally true. I can say now that God, he has healed me from this addiction. And it wasn't because I had a special method or a special prayer or a special routine. It really was God's grace. I found gradual victory, but at a certain point, God just took it away from me, if I could put it so bluntly. I don't know how else to describe it. And I can't say, oh, I was such a good Christian. It's because I'm a pastor. It's because I was in Bible drill. It was none of that. It was God's grace. And that's why if you are caught in any sort of sin, any pattern of sin, I want to beg you. There's nothing you can do to fix yourself. It is only the cross of Jesus. The blood of Christ forgives you and the blood of Christ empowers you to live in new ways. You can't beat your sin by your own willpower. So weep over your sin, be broken over your sin, hit rock bottom. And when you're at the bottom, God is there. God's grace is available to you. And so this is the final step of seeking humility. 
radically repent of your sins, weep over your sins. Here's the recap of today, the four ways of growing in humility, submitting to God's authority, resisting the devil's temptations, drawing near to God, repent and be broken over your sin. I want to spend a lot of my time on the last one because it's so near and dear to my heart. I know I'm not perfect. I know maybe people think pastors are perfect, but if you knew my history, if you knew my past, you would know that I was just a struggling Christian, just like you and I, and I still am. I still have to bring my sins before God each and every day. And so I want to encourage and beg you guys, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's start on that path, growing in humility. Here's my big idea, and then we'll wrap up. Humble yourself before God by repenting of your sins in order to receive his grace, to walk in love with God and others. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to consider what repentance might mean for your life. To repent is to turn the other way, to make a U-turn. You once were living one way, and now you give your life to God. Consider what it means to repent and give your life to God. If you're a Christian here, I also want you to consider repentance. Though you are a Christian, maybe you're backsliding, maybe you're struggling with an addiction or a sin, and you want to be friends with God in the world. Repent. Repentance is not just a one-time thing you do. It's ongoing. So submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, repent of your sins. This is the path to humility. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we come before you, we want to acknowledge that we are nothing before you. However impressive our grades are, however impressive our talents are in sports or the arts, Lord, we are sinners who are condemned to hell. And this is just and right. But God, I pray that you will give us grace. Give us what we do not deserve. Give us the ability to live in new ways, whether we're a Christian right now or we're a non-Christian. You know where each and every one of us is at. So God, we just ask, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.